a quick recap. That, that, that word justification is really where it starts. You know, because justification, and, and this is the, where the Bible really deals with this idea of justification. And, and, and Paul brings out these concepts and these terms here in the book of Romans. Uh, in the book of Romans, we get, we get basically the scripture that motivated the Reformation. It's, it's, it's by faith alone, it's not by works. That's where we get the term sola fide, which is faith alone. Uh, and that's what Martin Luther happened upon whenever he was part of the Catholic Church. And in his sincerity, in his sincerity to follow God and, and, and try and grab a hold of God, he was doing everything he could in, in the Catholic Church, but somehow you, you couldn't get there. And, and when he read this scripture, it said, it's not by works, but by faith. It's faith alone. And, and, and Paul really brings this out here in Romans and, and he talks about this in, in Romans chapter 3 is where he broaches the subject of justification. And that's kind of where we're still at. The subject of justification. And you see, justification is, is that terminology means that it's just as if I had never sinned. You see, it, it's, not like, it's not like maybe sometimes we forgive a spouse or a friend. We forgive them, but you still remember it, Right? God sometimes needs to bless us with the ability to forget because he has that ability. See, and that's, that's what it means to be justified. Justified means you didn't just get in by the skin of your teeth standing in the back room to the kingdom. It means that you were brought to the head table. See, to be justified means that it, it never happened. See, that, that's something that we have a hard time imagining because for us, we remember all the times that we messed up, don't we? God doesn't. See, when you come to him, it's like a ju- you're justified to be made righteous or to, to be declared righteous, as the word says. See, the difference is sanctification is to make oneself righteous. Now, that is a process. Justification happens at salvation. Ju- you are justified. God declares you righteous. And you see, but it doesn't stop there. And that's where we often fall short. Because uh, if, if you've ever been on, on some youth mission trips and other things, and you get all these people saved, you're knocking on doors and saying the sinner's prayer with folks. What happens after that? God might have declared them righteous, but, but there is a process through which we have to be sanctified. And, and, and we stop short of really entering in the fullness of, of life that Jesus has prepared for us and God has prepared for us. And we'll talk more about sanctification later. But, but we're still talking about this idea of justification. It's, it's faith alone. It's not by works, as, as Paul talks about. So we're going to move into chapter four and, and learn to have faith like Abraham. In chapter four, it starts to talk about Abraham. Romans uh, or Paul goes back to Abraham to really counter or begin to bring up examples for the, the, the people that he's talking to about this idea of faith by works. Because what happened was in chapter three, he talked about the fact that Abraham uh, trusted God or, or it was faith alone. It's not by circumcision. So that's where we get get the teaching on justification by faith alone, because circumcision is a work of the flesh. It's an outward act to declare oneself righteous for a Jew. This was paramount. This was everything to him. So for Paul to be saying, no, it's, it's not by it's not by circumcision, but it's by faith. That were declared righteous. It, it was it was like it was like a shot in the head for them. They, I mean, they had been taught for thousands of years that 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 circumcision was the difference maker. I am righteous if I am circumcised and follow all points of the law. Well, Paul was saying, no, it's not the law. It's not circumcision. It's faith. And they're sitting there. What? I mean, they're probably ready to take his head off if he was standing in front of them, because this was something that was totally foreign to them. 
And we're going to talk about something else that, that is totally foreign to them as well. And in, in, in chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, What then shall we say about Abraham our father? Or say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. It's a rhetorical question. For if Abraham was justified by works... Now, we have to stop right there and, and we have to insert something because what Paul is not talking about is good works. He's not talking about feeding the homeless. He's not talking about, um, you know, uh, 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 helping somebody out who needs some help. He's not talking about those types of works, good deeds. What he's talking about in this context, and we have to, and, and it's not in there, but we have to insert this term, religious works. Because in context, if you follow through the context of what he's bringing out here, he's talking about circumcision and law, works of the flesh, things that you do to be declared righteous. He's, he, he's, he's talking about those types of works. So we have to insert religious works. So if Abraham was justified by religious workings or works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, we have to look back at Genesis 15 because in Genesis 15 is where the covenant of Abraham was given or the covenant that God gave Abraham was given. And it's a very prophetic look at what God was going to do. This was before the tabernacle. This was before the priest. This was before the law. This was before the sacrifices. Abraham was a preface to the life of faith or to a life of faith. And he became a picture of the faithful. But you see, it, it, the word of the Lord came to Abram in, in verse 6 of chapter uh, 15 in Genesis. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Now look at that word accounted. Accounted is, is kind of an accounting term. And if you've ever worked in accounting, you know it works on a system of debit and credits, right? That you, you, you add something and you take it away. This This was... This was something that God shifted in the ledger because of faith for Abraham. It shifted. God accounted it. He added something to Abraham's ledger. And it became something that, 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 that set a preface or set a, an example for us to follow. But you see, this verse then, it, it can seem or, or it sees mankind. Here, here we're talking about mankind coming to the edge of the abyss to know God, to serve God. But God changed the ledger from debt to profit whenever Abraham came on the scene. Because prior to this, there was nothing. I mean, God had just, God had just before uh, Abraham, the, the story of Noah was there, right? And what happened to Noah? He believed God, built an ark, killed everybody else off. I mean, that, that's taking mankind to the edge of the abyss, right? Because mankind could not get to know God through anything that they could do. But all of a sudden we have this man, Abraham. Abraham. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Notice, it, it, he didn't have to create something. He didn't have to follow a ritual or a rule. See, this is what Paul, what Paul is trying to teach here in the book of Romans. That, that, that something changed. That it, it, didn't, it didn't change all of a sudden, but it was there before their system ever came along. And their father, Abraham, was, was their most revered person in their, in their history, in their, in their books. They, they, they loved him. Everything that they talked about when they talked about history was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everything. So don't mess, don't mess with my daddy. See, because Abraham was their daddy, right? You ever getting, getting your, your, uh, those mama jokes on the playground? 
Well, your mama is. Somebody start getting mad because they're making fun of their mama. That, that, that's how making fun or, or saying something about Abraham was to, to a Jewish person. Because he was it, man. Besides God, he was, he was like, because of this. Because he moved. He followed God. He followed the word of God. But Paul is trying to remind them about something as he begins to, to talk about how we are justified, how we're made righteous. See, he, he has to bring them to a point of understanding because he's talking about a foreign subject to them. You can't, you can't be declared righteous by the law. See, you can, you can go force someone to get circumcised, but that doesn't declare him righteous. That doesn't make him righteous anymore. It, it doesn't work like that. It, it, it's changed. And let me give you some examples. He, he goes back to the scripture and starts to quote them the scripture. And they had the Old Testament text. Have you ever read something that you know you've read before and all of a sudden it just popped and made sense to you in the Bible? That's probably what this verse did for a lot of these Jewish believers. Like, wow, I never saw it like that before. I never noticed that. Because I was so focused on the fact that Abraham was the first, was the first one who instituted some of the circumcision and other things. That, that that's the, the primary factor. That was the important thing. Look at me. I'm circumcised now. I'm, I'm, I'm set apart. I'm cool. I'm a Jew. You know, you, you know a lot of them had to be wearing around that, 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 um, that right of being a Jew, born as a Jew. You know, you get prideful. Everybody gets prideful in, in certain situations and, and uh, things in life. And when you get separated into different people groups, that, that hits hard. In fact, um, what's interesting is I was, uh, we've got a young man that I work with. He is from Tajikistan. And, and talking to him about some of the things that go on, I mean, I mean some of the, the Tajiks, they go to Russia to work because there's no work in, in the corrupt nation that he's from. And, and they go to work and, and Russians are killing these Tajiks who work there. Because of ethnic differences. I mean, it, it is amazing. The, and, and he's talking about the ethnicity rivals and factions that go on. And we see it on the news. We saw last summer uh, what happened in, in the country of Georgia and some other things. But they're so ethnically different. And I said, man, can you tell me that when you walk into uh, uh, the airport down in Russia in Moscow or something, they can tell a difference between you, uh, that, that you're from Tajikistan? He says, yeah. I'm like, wow. You know, we, we get hung up on the black-white thing. And, and, I mean, they're all white over there. But they can tell the minute differences between the ethnic di- classes. And they're at war. You know, America is not, not immune to those types of things. But we're also not, not a, a pariah either. It happens all over the world. We are better at dealing with it, though. Because we're such a melting pot. See, that's the beauty of, of what America and the United States represents in the kingdom of God because it's the only nation on the face of the earth that has the mixture that it has and has been able to be successful at it. There's no other place like it. Do a little bit of traveling and you'll find that to be true. Nothing can even touch it. And he even says that. He's like, man, uh, you, he says, you, you guys don't understand how good you have it here. In fact, he's got, an, <laughs> just interestingly enough, he's got an uncle that's uh, uh, the Tajik president uh, basically has booted him out of several jobs and put his own family in because he built businesses and, and ran them to profitability and he became rich off of them and the government, the president didn't like it, kicked him out, put him out on his ear and, and, and actually was after him in a civil war to kill him and, and uh, he's built up two other businesses since then and made him profitable. You talk about some stick to I mean, just took everything. Just walked in one day, said, you're out. Let's take everything you own. I'm going to give it to somebody that I like better. See ya. 
Now, 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 how would you like to live in that kind of environment? I wouldn't. So we live in a blessed nation. But, but, but they couldn't understand it. They, 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 you know, they were prideful in their circumcision. They were prideful in the way that they carried themselves. They were prideful in the way that they, they manifested uh, their religious liberties, if you will. But to go back to these accounting terms, it, in, in the Word it says, To him who works the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. If someone does works, work for you, then you owe him a debt, right? Hey, come work for me and I'll pay you. But in other words, what's happening here in the scripture is he's saying if religious works have been performed, then God becomes a debtor or owes us a wage. Can you imagine God owing you something? That's why he's using these accounting terms here was accounted. If, if, if we perform something, then God must owe us something, right? Now, verse five, to him who does not work or does a religious work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So he's putting something on a higher playing field. We think if we do something, we get something. Paul is now changing it and saying, no, wait a minute. If you simply believe, it's accounted as righteousness. You don't have to perform. Man, that's, that's like... That, 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 that kind of makes me want to go, it's kind of a sigh of relief almost. It's like, you mean I don't have to, you mean I, 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 I wow. That's freeing, isn't it? God declares me righteous just because I believe in him. Now, there is a difference, and, and I want to point this out because what we don't want to do is belittle salvation. Because, because there, has to be, there has to be a change for, for, for really there to be a, a work that is done in your life. If you truly believe God and are accounted righteous now, something changes. Something changes. And that's what we want to focus on tonight is, is what motivates the change in someone after they have had faith. See, and, and what we have to believe... Is the way that Abraham processed his faith. Paul gives us four keys in, in how or what happened as a result of his faith. And so we get beyond the, the obeying and the following of the, the law to become righteous. And we get into the justification. See, the religious laws don't do anything anymore. Righteousness can't come through it. Yet, somehow, by us not performing anything, our debt was erased. Our debt becomes erased. It's not like a bankruptcy. Because a bankruptcy stays on your record. But you see, this debt was erased. Totally done. Your junk is covered. Not to be seen anymore. Kind of reminds, kind of reminds me of the uh, scripture in the Bible that talks, that talks about the Israelites all each had to carry a shovel to bury their junk. Talk about three million plus people wandering around the wilderness. They didn't have sewage systems. Don't mean to be dirty or anything, but, but sin is kind of like that junk. You know, and God, and God made it a law. He said, you've got to carry around a shovel because we don't want to step in your junk. We don't want to smell your junk. Bury it. Bury it. And that's what he does with our sin. He buries it. We don't need to see it. We don't need to smell it. He buries it. And we need to believe that because if, if, if we hold on to those things, if we hold tight to those things, 
then we're bringing it back up. We're uncovering it. You're like going before God and, 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 and confessing all this stuff. He's like, wait, wait a minute. I know what you did yesterday. And you're repenting for that now. That, that's cool. But that stuff you're talking about two years ago, what is that? What is that? See, God, God has the, 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 the ability to forget. And that's an awesome trait, isn't it? How many of you men wish your wife would forget some things that you did? We'll pray for our wives to have a holy forgetfulness, right? So he, was, he, he began to, to move. And, and as we go through the story of, of Abraham, we'll see what happens. See, we, we, we have to believe. Now, believing in God does not save you. The Bible says that demons believe and tremble. So believing only does not save you. That, that's a theology of believism. You know, 86% of Americans actually believe in God. They, they, they say they're Christian, but when you get down to it, they really haven't followed the process of salvation, nor do they confess to being saved or, or uh, understanding the process of salvation. They say they're Christian because they believe in God. That doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't mean you're saved. See, that, 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 that process has to take place, and the process means that, that you have to go further. Because the Bible says that demons believe God. Demons believe God. Now, now let me ask you this. If, truly, if 86% of Americans were saved, would we be in the situation we're in today? I mean, look at Wall Street. Look at the banks. Look at the scandals. Look at the things. That, 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 that was caused by sin. You, you can whitewash it all you want. You, you can do whatever, say whatever you want about it, but it was caused by sin. Sin created the problem we have now. Sin created the situations we're in now. And that, that's the basis for it. That's the foundation for it. If 86% of Americans were saved and trusting and believing in God and living their lives according to that belief, we wouldn't be in this mess. We wouldn't be. So we have to find out what, 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 is, what is it that we're talking about if it's not by works, but it's by faith or by belief alone. Now, that, that means then that we have to move to Hebrews 11. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. This, this is the faith chapter. This is, this is the heroes of the faith in all their glory. And we're going to walk through what Abraham did or the four stages of Abraham's faith and how he lived that out. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to go to verse 8. Now it says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now I want you to stop right there and, and, and let's, let's find out a little bit about Abraham. Abraham was from where we currently understand to be the nation of Iraq. Back then it was called the Ur of the Chaldees. Now this was the seat of moon worship. They, 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 he, he was, Abraham was a pagan. He went to temple. He worshipped the moon. He, he participated in those types of worship activities. And so Abraham's kind of sitting there. And, and we, have to, we have to understand that God doesn't care where you've been from or what you've done. He can call anybody. So, so he goes to this idolater called Abraham, or Abram at the time. And God says, hey, Move. I want you to go down a little bit south of here to, to this land that I'm going to give you. 
I mean, think about that for a moment. It, you're, you're not sitting in a church being taught the Bible. You just hear this voice speak to your spirit. God chose him and God spoke to him. And then he did something. Now catch this. He, he moved by faith. That's the first stage of faith. You move. You have to be moved by faith. See, faith should motivate you to do something or change something or do something different. Faith should move you. Faith should not mean that you stay in the same place that you have been your whole life. Faith means that change begins to take place. See, the Bible says, show me your fruit. See, don't, don't show me your works, but show me your fruit. You can tell me you attend church. You can tell me you tithe. You can tell me you give. But what, what is it produced in your life? Show me your faith by your fruit. What, what, is, what is produced by this? So your faith should move you to fruitfulness and to worship. See, and, and, and that should bear the question, why, why, do people, why do some people jump up and begin to, to sing and clap in church during worship time? Because faith should motivate you to respond to that in worship. Why do we raise our hands? That's partially a response to worship. It, 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 it's a reaction. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't do that, you're not moved to worship, but I challenge you to be moved in your worship. Because when you begin to move... You begin to get a little less rigid, don't you? Now, I'm not going to dance. I'm, I'm going to spare you that tonight. But what happens... Thank you, Jim. But what happens is faith, because, because I believe God. I believe what He's done. I believe He has changed my life. I believe something is different. I'm motivated to move now. Come on, i got to do something. See, there was a time in our lives that my wife and I got to where... Just going to Covenant Church wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Now, if you walked in the door, as I did several years ago, 10, 10 11 years ago now, when I walked in the door, tears began to, hit, began to flow down my face because of the Spirit of God that was in that place. I've never walked into a church environment where, where there was so much of the presence of God just permeating the atmosphere. That environment... The, the, the faith in that environment motivated us to, to, to be better, to do better, to, to do good deeds, to, to, to worship God even more. But after so many years of that, it, 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 came, it, it came a point in my wife and I's life where we just sat and we said, our faith is moving us somewhere different. This is not enough. This is not enough. So your faith has to move you. It's got to motivate you to something. So, so this, this guy, he, he, he's, he's there. He starts to move. He starts gathering his family, starts gathering his wife, packing everything up. Next door neighbor probably goes, hey, Abram, what are you doing, man? I'm moving. Where to? Somewhere down there. Why? Somebody told me to. For what? I don't know. How long? I don't know. See, he didn't have all the answers as to why. Sometimes in our lives there comes a point in time where, where God's gonna, he's going to speak to your heart about moving on something. And you don't have to know why. See, Abram could have sat there, and, and, and back in Genesis 15, he could have sat there. God comes and says, Abram, I'm God. 
Nice to meet you, buddy. Been watching your life. You're a faithful man. I want you to pick up your family and move south of here. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you seed that number the stars in the heaven. Remember, he, he worshipped the moon, so, so he, he, he knew how to look and count the stars. He studied them. By the way, I'm going to give you descendants that far outnumber those. And then, guess what? I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. See, the interesting part is, is Abraham was like, cool, I'm going to get some land. Cool, I'm going to have some descendants. Whoa, you can't give me a son through Sarah. She is an old woman. I have to preach that sometime, but that's the personal part of the promise sometimes that we can't believe. Abram's like, whoa, what? That's impossible. The other two things are just as impossible, but they were, they were so far out there. He's like, I ain't got any, any choice but to react in faith to that. Because I can't even touch that. But a son? Wait a minute. I got some control over that. And I know that's not possible. See, sometimes that's our reaction. But you see, imagine if, if Abram would have sat there and just kind of went. <sighs> How are you going to do that? Okay, you promised me this land, but I've never seen it before. Who's there? Do I need an army? I mean, normally when people get land, they have to fight for it. How are you going to do that? What are you going to do? Kick them out? I don't even know the language. This is my home. What's my wife going to say? How's she going to react? What am I going to tell her? How am I going to pay for this? I got my farm here. We, we live off the land. What, what am I going to do for food? See, oftentimes we respond in, 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 in negative ways. And God's just simply saying, move. Ooh. And we want all the answers, don't we? We want all the answers. We love it when we're in control, right? We love it when the checkbook balances, right? We love it when we know we got enough money to cover the bills, right? But God might be tell, telling you, move anyway. No, no, it doesn't look right on paper. I know that's why I'm asking you to do it. Because with me, all things are possible. So Abram's like, okay, cool. I'll go. And all these people are probably looking at him and going, dude, you are crazy. And so he, he moves. So that's the first step in faith. You've got to move. Faith has to motivate you to move. Now, verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now, right here I want to talk about the staying power of faith. And the second key is he stayed. See, it's kind of a paradox, paradoxical thing, isn't it, faith? Because sometimes it motivates you to move, and sometimes it should motivate you to stay. See, faith should have this quality or characteristic that says, God called me here, I'm not going anywhere. God told me to do this. It doesn't look like it's working out. It doesn't look like it's bearing fruit. It looks like it's ridiculous, but God told me. So I'm not moving. Abraham came from this land. Could God have, have, have called, him, called him back? Or called him to check his obedience? And let him stay in the land of Ur and bless him? No, he had to move. He had to do something. He said, just go. And he went. Now, 
We can draw a comparison to someone in 2009 and today because they might come into a church or a service. We ask them if they want to receive Jesus and ask them to raise their hand. They step up to the altar. But the magic is not in the formula. The miracle is I'm going to move. You see, it doesn't matter what you have in your heart. When you're sitting there, the, the miracle is that you respond to something. See, because God might be moving your heart, and He's moving your heart to respond. So, so, when, so when the preacher says, raise your hand, or step out to the aisle, or step up to the front. See, that, that is the miracle in and of itself, that, that you have the faith to move when God moves your heart to move, so that because you believe you're going to receive something when you move. Instead, we're often too embarrassed, aren't we? What's going to happen? Who's going to look at me? Oh, I've been there before. I hated that part. I'm sitting in the service and God moves my heart and I'm sitting there going, please, please, please don't. Don't ask me to raise my hand. Please, please, please. Just don't say come to the altar. Because I don't want I, I don't want people looking at me. But God has done something. And the best experiences, the best interactions I've had with the Holy Spirit were when I responded to his tug. Because of the response the response when the Holy Spirit tugs in your heart is what is the tripwire. It's, it's, like, it's like God flips. A, it's like you flipping the switch. God's like, just flip the switch. Go ahead. Go ahead. And responding to that call is like flipping the switch. And it's like, Woo-hoo. See, that, that's, that's, why, that's why we as pastors and preachers, we ask for a response. Because it's this Holy Spirit leading us. Because God knows we need to respond to something. Let me tell you something. If you're, if you're a husband in here and you don't help your kids get something for, your, for their mother this Mother's Day, you might be thinking it all you want, but if it doesn't come out in a response and you go get something or you give them a gift, you're going to be in trouble. All right? It doesn't matter how much you thought it. It doesn't matter how much you meant to. It doesn't matter how sincere you were. Oh, baby, I was going to get you. It's good. It's done. You done did the damage. You didn't respond appropriately. The same way with the Holy Spirit. He's tugging on us and we're sitting back going, I'm too afraid. I'm too afraid. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How are you going to act? See, that, that's, that's why some of us are afraid of the Holy Spirit and the move of the Spirit. We're afraid of what, what uh, I don't know, what's going to happen to me? The most beautiful thing in the world is going to happen to you when you get filled with the Spirit of Almighty God. It's, it, it, it's such a freeing experience. It, it, it motivates you to action beyond your wildest imaginations. Let me tell you something. I was a little kid that sat in the back of the room doing this the whole time, right before I got up to go do a speech. I'm, I'm shaking. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm slinked down in my chair, hoping they don't see me, man. It's like, no, no, call on me. I get up in the front of the class and I'm like... You know, that was me for years, years. I still do it. I did it today on the radio. Nobody was even in the room except my wife. Um, But you see what happens when the spirit of God apprehends you. He changes you. So respond. But that staying power of faith, you see, all all of a sudden. It's 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 like Abraham's there. And it looks like a desert. He, he's in the middle of nowhere. 
God brings him there and says, by the way, I'm going to give you this land. He's like, okay, cool. So he's there. It's like, what do I do now? You ever get destination disease? You're on vacation and you show up at your destination after yelling at the kids for a while and, you know, all the stress and everything involved. And you get there and you get in your hotel room or wherever you stay and you go, okay, what do we do now? It was going to be so exciting when we just get there. And you get there and you're like, what do we do? Where are we going to go? Watch a movie? Want to order some pizza? Want to play a game? Kids are fighting and jawing at each other. And yeah, it, it, it's, it's, see, Abraham just had, had a journey. He gets there. He's like, okay, what do I do now? Let's set up house. Puts the tents up. Begins to build shop. You know, it, 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 it's not like he needed to do anything except move. Because that's all God told him. So he gets there and he stays. See, there, there are times in our lives where God calls us to do certain things. And it doesn't look like things are working out. It doesn't look like things are changing for the better. It's a challenge. Because I'm sure, I'm sure some uh, Sarah, and, and, and you, you saw Sarah. I mean, you heard her response when, when the angel showed up and said, Hey, Abram, remember the promise. You're going to have a son through Sarah. Sarah laughed. She probably told, told Abraham, she, she, she probably said, Abraham, look, I moved here with you when I thought you were crazy. You know, I, I, I've stayed here with you. I've, I've stayed the course with you when my family is making fun of us and laughing at us. Now, 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 look. I can't go there. She laughs at him. Have you, have you ever believed in the promises and had someone question you? Have you ever been afraid to share a promise and have someone question you? See, Abraham finds himself in a situation where he's just staying. What are you doing here? I don't know. What are you waiting on? I don't know. God told me I was going to have a son. That's all I know right now. See, he didn't have a lot of answers. But he had a staying power. So we have to have a staying power of faith. Faith has a staying quality. Faith is, is, is that thing that, that keeps you in a marriage. Whenever she made me mad. I can't believe she did that to me again. So you might not feel like being in a marriage, but faith, that staying power, keeps you in a marriage. It's the same thing that keeps you in a church. I can't believe he didn't say hi when we came in the room. You get a little ticked off at the pastor or something like that, and, and you're off to, to little Mr. Wonderful's church down the street. No, 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 no. And I'm not saying if you came from somewhere else that, that that's all wrong. God does move people. See, God does move people. And that's, that, that's okay. But what I'm saying is, there are folks that have that a little bit. They're, they're, just, they're not in it for the long haul. See, I, I've had folks tell me God called them here. God called me to, yeah, I'm behind you, brother. What do you need? I'll do it. Next thing I know, they're like, I can't believe you said that. You did what? You did this. You did that. You know, we're out of here. It's like, did God call you or not? Because the God I serve doesn't change his mind that fast. You know what I'm saying? God doesn't change his mind in, in, in a month. God doesn't change his mind in a year. 
Give me some folk that can stay the course for 7, 10, 20 years. We'll see what we can do. You see, that, that's the power of faith. It, it, it helps you stay. It helps you stick. It helps you stick in a relationship when, when it's going through some stressful times. So Abraham, he stayed. Now, faith also gives you the ability to have faithful fruitfulness. That's, that's the third stage, faithful fruitfulness. Because you, you may have moved, you may have been staying, but sometimes in that staying process, you've got to stand on the idea and the promise that you are going to be fruitful where God has called you to be. You've got to become fruitful. Now, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Now, this is where Sarah begins to, uh, to own up to some of this stuff. She said, faith had power or strength to receive the seed. Strength to conceive. <coughs> you see, one of the things that... that the realities of corporate worship is the motivation factor. Corporate worship should motivate you to have faith. It should motivate you. It should build you up. It should encourage you. Because we often find ourselves in situations that don't look fruitful, don't we? We do. That's just the status of life. It's in those times, though, that we need to be built up in the faith. Come on, God has promised. Just like God has promised Jim a job. You know what I'm saying? You've got to be built up in that. I've got a promise to receive that. So I've got to be motivated. Any great coach can tell you that, that, that before a game, the biggest thing is learning how to motivate their players to effectiveness. And you've got to learn some keys to motivation. So we have to have faith to move, faith to stay, and then faith for fruitfulness. She had faith to receive the seed and then bear the seed. From one man as good as dead, we're born as many as the stars in the sky, innumerable. So Abram by his faith receives strength to be fruitful. See, that's a key. We have to be able to receive strength to be fruitful. You might be here and you might have areas of your life that are supposed to be fruitful, but they're not. Some of us may have put some dreams on the shelf because you know what? It, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't jive. But God is saying, take the dreams off the shelf. You need to start dusting them off. You need to start putting some action to them. You need to start, start, start believing in faith for those promises to come true. Because it's about time. We are, we are in a ripe environment for this to come to pass. See, the faithful say, I have faith to receive seed and to be fruitful. That's what the faithful say. Kind of like Edison. Edison didn't give up, did he? The reason why we have light in here. His assistant was like, dude, we got to quit, man. We have, we, have, we have failed over a hundred some odd times. Or a thousand. I forget the exact numbers. But we failed so many times. And Edison's like, no. We've just figured out a thousand ways it won't work. See, we could say that. I'm figuring out the ways it won't work. Come on. You know, people don't become successes other than that their, their, their success is built on a heap of mistakes and failures. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Colonel Sanders. He, he, he went bankrupt like three or four times before he finally hit it. Some faith. And he never gave up. Abraham Lincoln, how many times did it take for him to be elected president? 
But it was God's timing and his ability to intersect himself into society or into into time at the right moment in time where we needed a leader of Abraham's character because of his failures. He was able to keep a nation together because he had a staying power that said, I'm sticking with this because I believe that God called me to be president. And just because I lost once, I'm not giving up. I don't know many, many guys in recent history that when they lost a presidency ever got back to the point where they can run again. You see how tough that is? Abraham stayed with it. So he had faith. See, the difference is those without faith and those with faith is how we look at life. It's a different way of looking at life and responding to trouble and answering a challenge. It's, it's different in responding to aggression and responding to discouragement. Faith responds differently than negativity or a lack of faith. See, when you are faithful or when you look through the eyes of faith, you look at somebody else's life who has been blessed and you say, I want some of that. I believe I'm going to get some of that. But someone who doesn't have faith, they respond negatively and says, oh, I can't believe they got that. When am I going to get mine? See, it's a different way of responding. See, it's not what happens to you in life that matters. It's how you respond to life. Several weeks ago, in, in fact, I had, I had probably one of, one of the most difficult bouts of discouragement that I've had in a long time. It hit me like a ton of bricks. It, 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 it was almost like I couldn't move. Discouragement was so heavy. And, and it stayed that way for several days. Like I slapped in the face. Whack. You ever had that happen to you before? It's like out of nowhere, this, this heaviness just comes on you. See, faithful people will respond with, you know what? It, it hurts right now. I, I, questions start. All of a sudden, all these voices, you're never going to make it. You're not going to, you know, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. You see, people of faith respond like this. I don't trust that because I know. And you begin to worship and you begin to respond. I'm not saying it's going to go away right away. It didn't for me. It was heavy for several days. And, and even though my response was, you know, I, I know that's not the case. I know that's not the case. I know that's not true. I know that's not true. It, it didn't make that stop right away. See, I know differently. I, 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 I had the feelings of, of discouragement were so strong. I, again, to, to, and I say again, but, but to give up. To throw in the towel. Was it worth it? It's not worth it. What's going on here? You know, and, and, and those voices come at different times. You see, they didn't go away right away. But I had to push through it. See, that's some of the staying power of faith. And, and, and when I get in this type of environment, and, and when I get, get around folks that, that are believing, that are trusting God for miracles, that are believing in the promises of God, and that, that are able to sit and learn and to worship together, that's when that discouragement lifts. That's why we can't be an island unto ourselves and not be involved in the local church. That's why we're doing the return. Oh, man, some great responses. Today we stopped in the middle of the show and, and I said, you know what? We, I, I really feel like there's someone out there that's struggling with grief right now. And, and we said a prayer of faith. And as we were doing that, there was a young, I believe it was a young woman or something on there who was, who was chatting on Ustream. And she said, how did you know my mother just died last night? The power of God. 
And, and, towards the, and she texted a few other things, but at the end of it, she said, I've got to go pick up my daughter from school, but thank you so much for listening. You are awesome. And I'm going to tell everybody I know about this show, she said, because I, I, I've stopped crying now. Amen. But it's, it's that power of God that moves. See, and it's the Spirit that did the work, right? So he had faithful fruitfulness. You see, we need reasons to be faith, faithful, or we need reasons for fruitfulness sometimes, because things don't happen the way that we often think they should. And so Abraham received strength to receive the seed. He received the seed. Now, I, I want to move on here real quick and, and close this out tonight. And I want to talk about the fourth stage of the promise or the faith. The fourth stage of faith. See, we've moved to a position of fruitfulness. And now, in verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. See, this offering up of Isaac, and, and I want to get to this real quick, because he made a conclusion in here. His faith gave him strength to sacrifice. He was tested. See, sometimes your faith has to be tested with some things. That's the fourth stage of faith. You have to be tested. Why? Because... If you never can pass a test, how can you be trusted with more? See, Abraham received the seed, this promise of Isaac. He, he was, he was the, the, the very promise that God gave him. If God didn't give him Isaac, nothing else would have come true. You realize that? So Isaac now is in his prime. When, when, when a man, and, and, and he's a type of, of Christ, and, and this typology is... Isaac was 33 years of age, the marrying age. They waited until they were 33. At 33, they found him a wife, and they began to really live their life. This is their prime. When, when Isaac is 33, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, sacrifice your son. I need to know that you really honor me. Now, this wasn't foreign to Abraham and, and, the, and the peoples around him, because the peoples around him in their sacrifices and their worship to their gods, especially the god Molech, they would sacrifice their children on a regular basis. It, it was. It was kind of. It, it, it was. So it was an accepted practice. So don't think this is so foreign to Abraham, or to God for that matter. But God was setting them up for something. You see, Abraham was tested in his faith. It doesn't make sense because the basic of this test initially doesn't make sense when you look at it. So here's a man. He's got. A, he's, he, he has no other children. Except when he messed up. He said, okay, you know, I, I, got, I, got, I got a little scared of the fact that you wouldn't fulfill the promise. And, and you know, I, I went to Hagar and had a child through her. But, but that wasn't the child of promise. Isaac is. But now you're asking me to offer him up. So he's going through this in his mind. He's going through the process of this in his mind. And it doesn't make sense. But what the reality is, is that in verse 18... And 19, it says, of whom it was said of Isaac, your seed should be called. Concluding that if God takes him, he can raise him from the dead. Now that word or that key in that whole verse is that word concluding. When you come to a conclusion, it means you arrive at a decision by reasoning. Now, listen to this. You arrive at it by reasoning. You have thought through the process of everything up to that point, and you reason something in your mind. Because it doesn't make sense. See, Abraham concluded that God, if God takes him, he can raise him from the dead. Now, why is this? 
See, the reasoning went like this. I was a foreign pagan with no knowledge of you worshiping. I worshiped the moon in Ur, and you called me. I moved here at your word. By faith, I migrated south of where I lived, left my family, have never seen them again. I stayed here, never hearing your voice again. You promised me a son. You said you would raise a great nation. The promise was revealed by faith. We received Isaac. And he was born. He has become the center and joy of our world. He's now ready to marry a wife and move forward with the remaining parts of your promise. And now you come to me and say, sacrifice him to me. This doesn't make sense. But you see, by faith, he concluded, he reasoned that if God told me to move, he was faithful and gave me this land. He kicked out everybody and gave me favor. You remember the story about when he, when he first presented tithe to Melchizedek? It was because he had went and set free a bunch of family and defeated all the kings. Little old Abraham. All the inhabitants of the land, God, God, God moved him out and gave him the land. Now he gave him a son through Sarah when he was a hundred years old. God, I don't know how you can do this. God did it. So through all of that process, he comes to a point where he reasons and he concludes through important reasoning that you were faithful through it all and you'll still be faithful now. And so he takes his, his son in his prime, 33 years of age, the same age that Jesus was crucified, walks him up to Mount Moriah, three days journey. Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days. Laid him on a wooden altar. Abraham raises the knife. God, you gave me the son. You can raise him from the dead. And with all of his force, he brings that knife. He starts to bring that knife down. And an angel steps in and stops his hand and says, Well, wait a minute. I know now you are faithful. You see, it wasn't a test other than the test of his belief in God. Because God had proved himself faithful for everything. So he had to conclude it. He reasoned it out. Did he bring me this far to fail me now? See, some of us might need to do that in our lives right now. We need to conclude something about God. Did God bring us this far to fail us now? God didn't bring you this far so he could walk out on you now. See, that's a stage of faith that we've got to get to that becomes so embedded in our spirits. We have people that will walk out of a church and never grace the doors of a church again because somebody said something to them and they didn't take it right. We have people that will walk out the doors of a church because something happened in their lives that was a tragedy and they blame God instead of believing God. We had a young lady from Boston today chat in and she, she, said, she said I'm on the edge of releasing all of my anger and, and, and resentment towards God today can you recommend a good church you see there are people like that all over and they need to come to a conclusion see unfortunately a lot of us come to the wrong conclusion that God has left us see and sometimes it's just a test of our faith you have faith enough to stay through. 
Do you have faith enough faith to become fruitful? Do you have enough faith, enough strength to receive the seed that God has promised you? And do you have enough faith to conclude appropriately and to be tested in your faith? See, you, you, you can never get further in the kingdom of God than your tests allow you to get further in. See, God wants to test us sometimes. And, and, and it behooves us as people that profess to be Christians to allow God to prove us faithful. See, it all goes back to this whole idea of faith, be it by works or by belief. Show me a man who believes God because he is, who has walked through these stages of faith, and I'll show you a man who's got good works to back it up. Why? Because a lot of times fruitfulness only comes through a process of time. See, we live in a microwave world, a McDonald's drive-through world. We want it, and we want it now. And we want all of it now. And ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's why oftentimes we have folks that might come into this place. We've been here four years. And I have to turn it back to something that's near and dear to my heart because it, it's so real to me. And they look, and they listen, and they worship, and they get the Spirit of God preach to them, minister to them, and they get touched by the Spirit of God. But they walk out of here going, what's wrong? Because it's not big. You see what I'm saying? You see, you see the irony in that? See, it, it, but, but, but for me, it doesn't have to be big as much as it has to be led by God. And if we're following the Spirit, if we're doing the right things, it's just a matter of time. See, we, we, we've had some fruitfulness, but have we had a birthing of the promise? And my response to that is no, not yet. Someone might ask me, what are you doing? Well, I know what I'm doing. Why is it taking so long? I don't know. You see, it often happens like that for us in our lives. We've got to just believe through, have faith through the process. So understanding those four stages becomes very important for us. Because as we walk through those four stages, you get to a point where when you are tested, the promise is then released in its fullness. Because then, when he walked down off of that mountain, he said, servant, come here, go find my son a wife. That became the multiplication of the promise. Because Isaac was just the first step. Isaac was birthed. But God promised me descendants that numbered the stars in the sky. So one is not enough, right? But if he marries and has kids, that's a multiplication. He had 12. And then it just kept growing from there. And it's still growing to this day. See, that's the promises of God.